global stocks extend drop with oil as Brexit risk royals pound. Hello, welcome to the Power and Market Report. Today is Wednesday, February 24th. I'm Albert Liu. Good to be with you. Uh, Asian markets declined overnight. Uh, Nikkei fell 0.85%. That's 136 points. Uh, ASX 200 also down 2.1%. That came after uh, the U.S. markets plunged yesterday after that rally on Monday. So following the best week so far in 2016 and a follow-up rally on Monday, uh, things have turned around yet again. We are about 15 minutes from the open and it looks like uh, U.S. stocks are going to open down about 0.7%. In uh, Europe overnight, the DAX was down 218, that's 2.32%. The FTSE was down 79 or 1.34%. And all of this uh, on, again, uh, persisting concerns about uh, the UK exit uh, from the Euro, the, the EU. And pound sterling dropped uh, again, this time below 139. This is the first time it's been that low since 2009. Uh, all of this, of course, concerns the uh, refugee crisis. I think this is just going to continue. It's not going away. And as the summer uh, approaches, the warmer months, I think um, the, the, the volume, the traffic of, of the refugee migration is going to continue um, and put more pressure on the situation. So we'll keep watching that. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, Argentina debt situation. It seems like things are beginning to normalize there. And uh, from what I've read, uh, Argentina may be able to access the markets again soon. And uh, you know, the whole problem has been uh, apart from just runaway government spending, the problem has been that, that uh, Argentina can't access uh, sort of the bankruptcy protection like a corporation can. So they've been stuck basically. And uh, one group that's behind that is the uh, the Elliott Management Corp, which is run by Paul Singer. Uh, they bought this distressed debt a long time ago and have been playing hardball uh, with Argentina. And it went as far as them getting an injunction against Argentina paying, uh, making good on their subsequent debts. And I covered that a long time ago in a podcast. And that caused what was called um, uh, technical default. Uh, basically, they got an injunction. The money was in the account, but they couldn't um, pay their bondholders. Uh, so since then, we have a new government in Argentina. Uh, the US courts have been friendly to this government. And that injunction has been lifted. Uh, which is, uh, I guess, a horrible deal if you're Elliott Management. They bought this distressed debt from someone, planning to work through it, and finally get paid in the end, and uh, now the judge has c come along and, and reversed that. And uh, the consequence of that is uh, some other debt holders are getting a better deal uh, than Elliott. So, so that's an interesting story. Uh, but I guess what's most interesting to me is if you watch the coverage, how important it is to them, or how important it seems uh, to them that governments have access to credit. Of course, this is like the, the entire problem right now, right, is that governments have had too much access to credit. You know, these giant sovereign debt uh, bubbles. But here, here you have people um, <laughs> concerned about the opposite. BlackRock warns uh, bond traders that they're underestimating the Fed. BlackRock Warning bond traders, you are underestimating the Fed. In a report out Monday, BlackRock's chief investment strategist, Russ Kosterich, says inflation has strengthened, suggesting the central bank may not be as dovish as the market expects. What's your take? 
I think people have, first of all, been paying attention to the futures for far too long because they've been totally, totally wrong. And second, you have to read the speeches that come out of the Federal Reserve. Yeah. And they make it pretty clear. We're data dependent. We're trying to normalize rates. It doesn't mean we're going to 3 or 4%. But a 1, 1.5% uh, Fed funds rate is not unthinkable over the eight, next 18 months. Volatility in Chinese stock markets is not part of the dual mandate <laughs> yeah. for the Federal Reserve. Well, I, I, David, it also strikes me 12 minutes ago we heard the housing prices in this country are going up almost 6% a year. Right. That's starting to sound like inflation. Well, well the problem is that home prices are going much, up much faster than overall, than overall inflation, so the real cost of housing is going up and up and up. And it's one of the things that's being fed by this very low interest rate policy. And I agree, we should not look at futures markets the way we used to because this futures market is completely distorted. Futures markets are, you know, Fed funds futures are a derivative. Derivatives are anchored to the cash market. The cash market is distorted by central banks pushing down long-term rates all around the world. Therefore, the, you know, you can't torture the suspect and then expect them to tell the truth. Let's and futures markets are not Let's telling the truth. Point, because that's important. If, if the Fed funds <laughs> futures market can't be a guide, Barry, can the Treasury market be a guide? Because the Treasury market has been an accurate forecaster of the economy, much better than the Fed over the last five, six years. Sure, if you get an inverted yield curve, if the, if the three-month and ten-year start to invert, that, that's a problem. The one thing I would point out, housing has an interesting issue. It's not just price, it's extremely limited supply. There are a lot of people post-crisis who either have are upside down in their mortgages or have limited equity or no equity, and they're kind of stuck in place. If you talk to folks like Jonathan Miller, they'll tell you the prices are being driven due to the lack of free availability of supply, not necessarily. Uh, if, if the market really believed that we we're going to get uh, four rate hikes this year and, and more the subsequent year, uh, where do you think the, the major stock indexes of the world would be? People would be in major panic mode. They would be running uh, out of equities, probably out of bonds uh, into basically gold and cash, right? And I'm sure BlackRock doesn't want that. So I think you have to be careful what you ask for here. Finally, I want to end with uh, just some comments about uh, the uh, about OPEC, the cartel, and what's going on in oil. You know, last week, that whole write-up was based on the idea that there was going to be some type of arrangement by... Uh, Iran, the Saudis, and Russia to cut production or to freeze it at the January levels. And these talks apparently were going well, hence the, the huge rally. And I'm not a short-term trader, but if you are, you, you kind of have to love this, right? Up and down, up and down, just based on headline stuff. Um, but it reminds me of uh, something I, I remember Rothbard saying in, in a lecture. And uh, basically, if you think about, step back a little bit, if you think about what economics teaches us and how that can be applied to the markets. My conclusion is there's not really that much there, meaning that there's not, there's not much you know for sure from economics that helps you in your investing. Uh, however, and, and that's why these economists are not obviously uh, um, mastermind traders. However, I think there are some lessons there that can keep you from making uh, very bad and very big mistakes over and over again. And we see these. So for instance, uh, Rothbard points out that every 10 years or so, you get uh, some type of energy hysteria, right? So we had peak oil recently. This seems to repeat 10 or 15 years uh, in a period of 10 or 15 years. People um, do these calculations based on production and reserves and so on and so forth. They never take into account price. 
And so that's something that economics brings to the table. You have to, you have to uh, look at price. And that's also related to what we see with the cartels. Cartels, at least as voluntary cartels, uh, not, not the cartels enforced by a, a gun in your back or a knife at your throat, but basically the, the gentleman's agreement um, to, to limit production or to raise prices, those never work out in the long run. And that, that's because someone is always willing to cheat the other. Someone is always willing to raise production beyond the agreed limits. Someone is willing to drop prices below the agreed limits. And uh, these things, these uh, market cartels, if you want to call them, they, they always break down for that reason. So this is what we had last week. We had last week uh, someone floating a rumor that these talks were going well, that that uh, Iran was on board with uh, the proposal uh, spearheaded by the Russians and the Saudis to, to limit production. And uh, so the news now is, no, that's off. And of course, the whole thing unwinds, and now stocks are in turmoil. Uh, so I guess that's, in a way, that's good news, uh, that uh, uh, really that there's, there's no way that these guys can, can achieve a cartel price um, on a relatively open market. Of course, uh, that's why that's why gas is not $100 um, a gallon or more. Uh, so, so that's good news. Incidentally, I'm in Houston now. I was driving around yesterday, and uh, I needed some gas. Uh, saw a couple stations that had uh, uh, regular unleaded for $1.79. And, uh, and, you know, the Houston market, the, the price to beat uh, is uh, $1.29. Sorry to you folks who live in, in other places like... <laughs> Canada or, or across uh, the pond in the UK, but $1.29 is the number to beat, not $1.79. And so I scoffed at this number. I was almost insulted as I drove by looking for a better price. And uh, the funny thing is, I distinctly remember this time last year being in California, paying $3.99 a gallon and liking it because most of the places had it, had it much higher. So this is not all a bad thing. That's my update for today. Have a great day, and I look for you next time. Until then, take care. Bye.